0: This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month they deliver them to your front door. And by Heather McKinnon, Ellen Gross, Jill Harrigan, Chantelle Oliver, Jamie Lang, Monique Harris-Pixado, Sophia Smith, Mandy Booty, Caitlin McTaggart, Rosa Danausten, Morgan Ricci, Adele Gulino, and Gerardo Muñoz. Thank you so much for being our sponsors. We couldn't do it without you. Merry Christmas and happy holidays, Olivia. (gasps) Merry Christmas! The most wonderful time of the year, even in 2020. (laughs) Agreed. And it being 2020, I feel like many of us have a... A kind of yearning for simpler times. Ah, yes. (laughs) We can all kind of relate to the idea that back in the good old days, life was slower and and they (laughs) weren't stressed with global problems. Yeah, they probably weren't as worried about global problems, but also no antibiotics. So... No refrigeration. No, uh, no. No airplanes. No global travel. Plumbing. Serious downsides yeah. to the good old days. Although I am feeling a very weird sympathy for the people in that terrible movie, The Village, who run oh. off to live in an isolated community in the middle of Central Park and pretend the world is not there. Like why? Because you're oh. on the edge of doing that. Oh, I get, I get it now. I can, I can see the ah. feel going. You know what? I'm just going to pretend that everyone else, except the small group of people I have chosen, don't exist. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it. Funny you should frame it that way. Because today, for our Christmas special, I have a woman who curated her own existence in just such a way. Oh. From a very young age, they say, she lived in the world of imagination, Hmm. and she dreamed the possibilities of what life could be, and she lived in a universe of her own making as much as anybody I've ever heard of who Hmm. lived in the 20th century. (laughs) Wow. She lived in a remote farmhouse, basically she, she basically was living in 1830, but it actually was 1980. <laughs> <gasps> oh, I think I know who this is. Oh, do you? Oh, who? I hope it's who I think it is. What? Is it Tasha Tudor? It is! You've oh, heard of her? Oh, I love her! I'm a former children's librarian. Of course I am. Oh, heard of course. Of okay. She's a prolific illustrator. Of classics and children's books, beloved all over the world. Do you have a favorite? Oh, all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And by all of them, I believe you mean well over 100 books she has illustrated. And they're all perfect. (laughs) All of them. Yes. She illustrated little women. She illustrated a little princess. She illustrated The Night Before Christmas Mm. five times. She's written her (laughs) own children's books. She is beloved all over the world. Mm. But I wasn't familiar enough with her name until I got a message from one of our listeners in Portugal, Joy Hanford, who said, have you heard of this Tasha Tudor? Mm. And really, she would be wonderful to talk about at christmas time because her favorite holiday was christmas oh of course it was and every year she made a new advent calendar she illustrated christmas cards her christmas preparations started in like july and <laughs> yeah. she wrote about it in one of her christmas books called take joy mm. at the very end of the book she describes all their family traditions she even shares recipes mm. and it is just the escape from 2020 that we need and mm. And I guess for her, her whole lifestyle was the escape from the world that she needed. Mm. She lived without electricity in a 17-room farmhouse in New Hampshire. Mm. She hated being in a hurry, she said. She liked to take everything slow. And yet she's like one of the most prolific and productive illustrators maybe of all time. Mm. She illustrated two or three books per year. She just cranked them out in addition to her famous Christmas cards and Advent calendars. Mm. But when you hear the story of how much time and effort she puts into just her family Christmas celebrations and just her everyday farm life, it's just astonishing how she finds time to do anything. I'm convinced that she wasn't a real human. She was some kind of mystical angelic being who could pause time and spend it doing whatever wholesome things she wanted to do. That <laughs> tracks. She's, she's a fairy or something. Yes. And so today I would like to read that passage from Take Joy, where we get to enter the beautiful, magical world of Tasha Tudor. Ah, yes. Merry Christmas. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle, And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. Dedication. Fra Giovanni, 1513. I salute you. There is nothing I can give you which you have not. But there is much that, while I cannot give, you can take. No heaven can come to us unless our hearts find rest in it today take heaven. No peace lies in the future which is not hidden in this present instant. Take peace. The gloom of the world is but a shadow. Behind it, yet within our reach, is joy. Take joy. And so at this Christmas time I greet you with the prayer that for you, now and forever, the day breaks and the shadows flee away. Christmas at Tudor's Farm. Christmas is the most joyous season of the year for Tasha Tudor and her family. The Tudors live in a rambling 17-room farmhouse in the heart of the New Hampshire hills. The red frame house, built in 1789, was bought by the Tudors from the grandson of the original builder, so it has had only two families living in it. On the rolling land is a large stand of timber, providing not only the family Christmas trees, but lumber for the barns and wood for the wide, old-fashioned fireplaces. Preparations for the next Christmas begin almost as soon as the ornaments from the one before are put away. For many of the gifts, certainly the most meaningful ones, are made lovingly by hand and take a long time to complete. Tasha Tudor says... Christmas is one of our most exciting celebrations, and we spend months planning a marionette show and making presents for this special time of year. In the long back room of the house, known as the Winter Kitchen, there is a large fireplace and brick oven, such as may be found in most old New England houses. Here stands the settle, and behind it is the Christmas chest. Into this chest, the year-round, go presents and surprises of all shapes and sizes. Certain drawers and closets, too, are forbidden territory. The Advent Calendars By October, it is time for Tasha to start to draw her yearly Advent calendar. Each year, taking turns, one of the children chooses the subject for the calendar, which Tasha Tudor will make. Perhaps it will be a cozy village of field mice, numbered doors and windows open, one for each day of Advent, to reveal the mice at their winter activities. One may be sleeping with a tiny red-and-white stocking cap on his head, another reading a book, another trimming a Christmas tree, still another rocking a baby mouse in a little wooden cradle. Another year the calendar may be about the pre-Christmas doings in Corgiville, a village inhabited, of course, by Welsh corgi dogs. The new calendar occupies a place of honour on the wall of the living room, but all the calendars from previous years are also hung up on the first day of Advent. St. Nicholas's Birthday St. Nicholas's Birthday, December 6th, is the real beginning of the Christmas season for the Tudors as it is for many families, not only in this country, but also in Holland, France, and England. Tasha says, A lot happens on this special day at tea time. The morning has been spent in setting up the creche and decorating the winter kitchen. The old Noah's Ark and its inmates are set up on the long mantel. The advent wreath is hung, and it is time for tea. Now the Christmas cake is cut and the prettiest cookies are brought out. How beautiful it all looks. The curtained stage for the marionette show at one end of the room, the logs burning peacefully in the great fireplace, the fragrant greens, the lovely shadows of the advent wreath and its ribbons on the ceiling, the creche with its candles lighting the nativity scene. Chris Kringle After tea says Tasha. We sing carols around the melodeon, and then before we go to bed, the old Canton china soup tureen is brought out, and from it, each member of the family draws a name for his Kris Kringle. Kris Kringle is fun. You draw a name, and then every day, and in secret, you have to do something nice for the person whose name you have. On Christmas Eve itself, you guess, or try to guess, who your Kris Kringle was. Recipe for Christmas cake. The Christmas cake has to be made several weeks ahead of time and kept in a cool place to ripen to its full deliciousness. Two cups of real butter, scant. One and a half cups of granulated sugar. Eight eggs. One cup blanched, chopped almonds. One cup chopped citron. Five cups cake flour, not sifted before measuring. One teaspoon salt. Two teaspoons baking powder two cups raisins, three cups currants, four tablespoons orange juice, two teaspoons vanilla, one cup candied cherries, whole ones. Cream butter, add sugar, mixing well as you do so. Then add eggs one at a time, beating five minutes with a hand egg beater after adding each egg. Add orange juice, vanilla, and almonds. Sift flour and salt and baking powder into a large bowl. Now add fruit and mix it with your hands until fruit is well floured. Then add the first mixture and stir well. Pour in broad pans lined with aluminum foil. Decorate tops with more candied cherries and almonds. Bake about an hour in the 275 degree oven. Wrap in foil and keep in a cool place. The Advent Wreath The rich red ribbons on the Advent Wreath have a story of their own. They were originally used to tie back the church pews at the wedding of Tasha Tudor's mother and father. The wreath is hung on December 6th and the four candles are lighted when the family gathers for tea and Christmas cake. From that day on, a part of each afternoon will be devoted to preparations for Christmas, making presents, planning the marionette show, making the puppets in their costumes, planning and making special gifts for the doll family, and making candies, cakes, and cookies. The Christmas chest is filling up, and in the big, cool storage pantry, children sample some of the holiday goodies. Making and filling cornucopias. At Christmas time, children of friends and neighbors know that each of them will find on the Tudor's tree a cornucopia filled with candy, a clear toy, a Christmas cookie and a gingerbread toy made just for him. Making the cornucopias of colored paper and filling them with homemade candies is done by the Tudor children who also make strings of popcorn and cranberries to decorate the tree. The clear toys are ordered from one of the few places still making this candy treat from your grandmother's day. Made of pure barley sugar in brilliant clear colors, they sparkle like bits of stained glass, formed into charming little bugles and drums, elephants and lions, ballet dancers and flowers. The arrival of the clear toys is always one of the high spots of the pre-Christmas days. The Tudor children make other candies, however, and even the boys have some favorite recipes, which, like many New Englanders, they call receipts. Seth's Fudge Three squares cooking chocolate, two cups sugar, one quarter teaspoon salt, two thirds cup milk, two tablespoons light corn syrup, two tablespoons butter, one teaspoon vanilla. Cut up squares of chocolate and put in heavy saucepan with sugar, salt, milk, and syrup. Place over low heat. Stir until mixture boils. This takes a while, about 20 minutes, so have a book to read while stirring. Then cook to stage where it will form a soft ball in water, 234 degrees on a candy thermometer. Remove from heat, stir in butter, and cool to lukewarm. Add vanilla and stir vigorously about five minutes and turn into a large bread tin, buttered. Makes about a pound. Cut when cool and wrap each piece individually in aluminum foil. Christmas Butter Toffee 1 cup sugar, half a teaspoon salt, a quarter cup water, half a cup butter, half a cup chopped cashew nuts, two six ounce packages semi sweet chocolate bits. Mix together and cook to light crack stage, or until brittle when dropped into water. Add half a cup of chopped cashew nuts, pour onto greased cookie sheet, and cool. Melt two six-ounce packages of semi-sweet chocolate bits. Spread half on top of cooled toffee. Sprinkle with half a cup of chopped nuts. Cool, turn, and repeat the same on the other side. Break into pieces and wrap like fudge. Bringing in the tree. Christmas Eve is filled with excitement. The tutors rise early and do the farm chores so the rest of the day can be given over to seasonal delights. First and foremost is getting the Christmas tree. Finding the right one takes some time, but finally, from their large planting of fir trees, a perfect one is selected, cut down, and brought home on the sled, all cold and smelling deliciously of Christmas. Megan, one of the Welsh corgi dogs, does her bit by bringing in a sprig of greens. Hanging Stockings Gathered around the melodeon, the children have sung the beautiful old traditional carols. The farm animals have been fed and bedded down in the warm stable across the yard, which, with its rough timbered ceiling and its loft filled with sweet-smelling hay, cannot be much different from the one that sheltered the holy baby in Bethlehem long ago. Although it is not yet trimmed, the Christmas tree has been set up in the winter kitchen, and the house is filled with the fragrance of pine. Now is the time for hanging stockings over the broad, old-fashioned fireplace, Some cookies are left for St. Nicholas, too, who will surely be hungry after he has filled the stockings. And some carrots and apples are set out for his hard-working reindeer. Caleb the Corgi is left to be Santa's reception committee. Maybe you're looking for experiences for your kids this holiday season instead of stuff. Girls Can Crate delivers a monthly package to your kids that teaches them about a real woman who changed the world. Every crate features an inspiring woman and her own unique story of why she's awesome, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two to three hands-on STEAM activities, and more. Girls Can Crate teaches girls that they can be and do anything. It really is inspiring, exciting, and just the thing to get you through the rest of these crazy quarantine times and they would make an amazing gift. Go to girlscancrate, C-R-A-T-E, dot com, and use the code HERNAME, all one word, to get 20% off your first month's crate on any subscription that you order. The Animals' Christmas. Ever since the first Christmas, when the farm animals gave warmth and shelter to the newborn Prince of Peace and his family, the friendly beasts have been especially blessed and remembered at Christmas time. Cows, pigs, sheep, ducks, grey geese, chickens, horses, Both great Belgian workhorses for pulling the plow and shaggy ponies for riding, cats with kittens, a large and amiable bloodhound who thinks she's still a lapdog, a canary, and a family of Welsh corkies are all beloved members of the Tudor farmstead. The animals frequently serve as models for Tasha Tudor, and some, like Dorcas Porcas the pig and Alexander the gander, have been made the subjects of books. Special holiday treats are given to all the animals on Christmas morning. Hot mash for the hens and geese, apples and carrots for the cows and horses. For each dog, a delectable bone is hung with the children's stockings. And each cat gets a catnip mouse. For the wild birds, the tutors make balls of peanut butter, raisins, and chopped nuts. On Christmas Day, they are tied to tree branches. Such fare would be too rich, however, for the pet canary, who gets a chicory salad in a little flower pot. When Tasha Tudor was a child, her mother kept several hives of honeybees. At Christmas time, the hives were decorated with holly sprigs and Tasha Tudor has continued this custom. Making marionettes. The Tudor's marionette show has grown from a simple family entertainment to a production of real artistry. The entire show is planned and produced by the family. Making the marionettes is fun, says Tasha Tudor, though a bit on the untidy side as far as housekeeping goes. Clay, plaster casts, wood, the contents of a scrap bag, nails, glue, sewing baskets are all assembled in the winter kitchen and the real kitchen, even spreading to the best parlor at tea time. The dogs love it, for there's always something interesting to chew. We try to get the show well underway by November, she says, so we can rehearse three times a week until Christmas. A stage, which fits perfectly a section of the living room, is easily put up or taken down for storage. The marionettes are large string puppets, about 18 inches tall, made by Tasha Tudor and the children each year. The heads are usually molded first in clay, and then cast in plaster of Paris molds. Sometimes the heads are made of papier-mâché, or of plastic wood, which can be carved and sanded, and then painted realistically. Hands and feet are made of wood, and the bodies of wood, cloth, or wire. Sometimes the characters in the plays are animals, as for instance, the Brementown Musicians. The cock for this play was made of wire and muslin which was covered with real chicken feathers donated by the barnyard cock. Yellow cloth wrapped over wires formed legs and claws and bright red flannel made as comb and wattles. The Marionette Show The plays are taken from favorite stories. Folk and fairy tales, stories of King Arthur's knights, myths, and legends. Parts are largely ad-libbed, They do rehearse a great deal, but the informality and spontaneity of the performance is part of the fun. As Tasha Tudor describes it, At four, guests of all ages arrive. We always hope it won't snow too much, for we live well out in the country. All the cookies and cakes and little tarts are now brought out and set on platters. The silver tea set has been polished, and every available cup and saucer is spread out on the table. Furniture is moved out of the winter kitchen to make room for chairs and benches for grown-ups. If you're under 15, you sit on the floor. There is a general excitement, especially amongst the puppeteers backstage, hoping that all will go well. It always seems to, but still, it is a great relief when the play is successfully done. Then tea is served, a huge delectable tea, with grandmothers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles and cousins and friends all fitting in somehow and admiring the gingerbread castle which has now been lighted. Before the guests go home, the big tree too is lighted, and each child collects his loot, a gingerbread animal, a clear toy, and a full cornucopia. The Gingerbread Castle We always make a special cookie for each member of the family and for the children of friends and neighbors. Besides the shaped cookies, we also make an elaborate gingerbread castle. The size and shape of the house or castle is decided upon and sketched. Then it is cut out of cardboard, and the cut pieces of cardboard are used as templates or guides in shaping the gingerbread dough on a baking sheet before cooking. Holes are pierced along the sides of the gingerbread slabs. When they're baked, the slabs fit together quite nicely, rather like a prefabricated house. They're laced together firmly with ordinary white string. When the castle is frosted, the lacings do not show. Christmas tree gingerbread. One cup shortening, one cup light brown sugar, three eggs, well beaten, one and a half cups molasses, six cups bread flour, one and a half tablespoons ground ginger, two and a quarter teaspoons salt, one and a half teaspoons baking soda, one teaspoon cinnamon. Cream shortening and add sugar, eggs and molasses. Sift dry ingredients and add them to the first mixture. Chill and roll out, not too thinly. Cut into shapes to hang on the tree or make into walls for a gingerbread castle. Bake on flat sheets in a 350 degree oven until dry but not crisp, about 15 minutes. This recipe will make one small castle, or many shaped cookies. Decorate with the following frosting, forced through a paper cornucopia. Frosting. One and a half cups sugar, half a cup water, two fresh egg whites. Boil sugar and water together until they spin a fine hair when blown upon. Now get someone to help you pour the hot syrup Over the two egg whites, which you've already beaten by hand, you beat again while the other person pours the syrup on in a fine stream, turning the bowl as he does it. The frosting should now be nice and thick, ready for use. The Doll's Christmas. Over the years, the Tudor's doll family has taken on a life of its own. And the Doll's Christmas celebration on December 24th has become a family tradition. So lifelike and enchanting is the world of the dolls that friends of the Tudors have also become fascinated by it, and often the dolls receive gifts or cards from faraway friends in the real world. They are not ordinary dolls at all. They live in the Hotel Black Walnut in the upstairs spare room. There are four dolls, Captain and Mrs. Thaddeus Crane, and their two children, Lucy and Tad, There are also a plush duck family, the bears, and Mr. Merton Bogart, a troll who lives in a deserted telephone box. I say the dolls are not ordinary dolls. I must explain, says Tasha Tudor. Mrs. Crane, Melissa Dove Crane, is 16 inches tall. Permanently aged 22 and very beautiful, she belonged to my children's great-great-grandmother and came over from France on the Great Eastern. Her wardrobe and accessories would delight any woman. Besides all of this, she has an adorable six-year-old daughter, this is Lucy, and an equally enchanting China baby boy, Tad. Her husband is a dashing officer of the New Hampshire Volunteers. On the 24th of December, we set up a miniature room for the dolls' Christmas, on top of the Christmas chest, which is now empty, of course. I help the dolls decorate their tree. Melissa says the needles are too prickly for her tiny hands. The Crane's tree stands 20 inches high and has a string of tiny lights. It looks enchanting in their room, which is quite elaborately decorated with doll furniture made to the proper size. There are even little books real ones, and a glass chandelier made especially for the dolls by some kind friend in the Corning Glass Company. The dolls' own presents are put beneath the tree. The bears and ducklings and Mr. Bogart are brought downstairs all bringing gifts as well. When all is ready, we have our supper. After that, we have the dolls' tree and their presents are opened. There are a number of gifts for the children too, for the dolls are very generous. Accessories to the feast. Almost as essential to a New England Christmas dinner as the turkey are the cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie. Here are Tasha Tudor's family receipts for these traditional holiday treats. Cranberry sauce. To two pounds of cranberries, add enough water so that the berries, when pressed down, are not quite covered by it. Add two pounds of granulated sugar, bring to a simmer skimming occasionally. Cook over low heat about 15 minutes until juice gels when dropped on a cold plate. Don't stir too often while cooking. Pour into a mold and set aside to firm. When ready to serve, place mold in hot water briefly and turn sauce out of mold. Pumpkin pie. Cut a small pumpkin in half, remove seeds, steam pumpkin in covered pot with a little water, and strain the pulp. Then take one and a half cups pulp, two thirds cup light brown sugar, one teaspoon cinnamon, half a teaspoon ginger, half a teaspoon salt, one and a half cups milk, half a cup heavy cream. Mix all these together and bake in an unbaked pie shell at 350 degrees for about 35 to 40 minutes. Most of the traditional New England holiday foods that the Tudors make can easily be made in a modern kitchen, but there will be few readers who can cook their Christmas turkeys as the Tudors do. The turkey is cleaned and stuffed and rubbed with bacon fat. It is then placed on the spit of the old-fashioned roasting oven, which is placed in the fireplace where it cooks in a leisurely manner in the heat of the wood fire. Occasionally rotated by hand and basted, it gradually acquires a rich, golden-brown luster and fills the house with a tantalizingly delicious aroma. The creche in the oven. At the side of the great fireplace where the turkey is roasted is a brick-lined bake oven. In earlier days, a wood fire was burned in it until the temperature was raised high enough, and then the embers were removed, and the bread was put in it to bake. Now, with its heavy wooden door removed, the old oven makes a perfect, if unconventional, setting for the Tudor's creche, or miniature manger scene. Tasha says, it makes a lovely stable, dark and mysterious. The manger stands in front. A well-loved plush donkey looks at the baby, along with two woolen lambs from Salisbury, England. A chanticleer stands to one side, and in the greens is perched a woolen owl with an especially nice face. The charming blue-gowned Madonna was made by Tasha Tudor. A single lighted candle sheds a gentle radiance over the scene. The candle once brought near disaster to the family's inquisitive cat, who, perhaps thinking there might be a field mouse hidden in the straw of the manger, poked his nose too near the candle. Whiskers flaming, the startled cat fled under the couch, which caused further alarm, as it was feared he might set the entire house afire. No damage was done, however, except the poor cat's vanity. That, alas, suffered a further blow, for when his whiskers grew back, they had a most peculiar crimp in them, as though they had been given a permanent wave. Christmas Day And now it is Christmas morning. The stockings are stuffed with the most interesting things. These are investigated at once, but the other presents are not opened until later in the day. While I'm getting breakfast, says Tasha, the girls put the turkey on to cook before the open fire in the winter kitchen. We never cook turkey any other way. The dogs and cats sit about and watch the turkey cooking before the fire, hoping something tasty will be spilled on the hearth. We all help prepare the dinner, and sustain the maker of the cranberry sauce when she goes through the trying moment of turning it out. Dinner is very special. It is served about two o'clock in the afternoon. The table is spread with the best damask cloth, the green glass finger bowls are brought out, and each has a sprig of lemon verbena placed in it. Dinner is a leisurely and happy affair, and the expectation of the tree and presents adds to the joyfulness of the occasion. During the morning, says Tasha, at odd moments, my elder son and I have been trimming the tree. After dinner, the other children and aunts and uncles and cousins do the dishes while Seth and I finish the tree trimming. The ornaments are very old ones. They belong to the children's great-great-grandmother, so they must be handled with care. It is one of the few complete collections of such ornaments in existence. Grapes in clusters, roses, Apples, oranges, shining balls of all sizes and colors, icicles and tinkling bells, all exquisitely made of heavy glass, are carefully hung on the tree. Chains of popcorn and red cranberries made by the children are looped from branch to branch, and the clear toys, gingerbread cookies, and candy-filled cornucopias complete the picture. By the time the evening chores are finished, everyone is in the proper state of excitement. At last, the tree is completely decorated and lighted, and the presents are piled beneath and around it. Now Seth winds up the antique music box and sets it at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This is the signal the children have been waiting for. The doors burst open and there stands the tree in all its shimmering glory. The rest of the evening is spent in that happy enjoyment only Christmas brings. Special thanks to Amy Tudor. If you want to purchase Tasha Tudor's Christmas books, illustrations, Advent calendars, and cards, you can find them all on the Tasha Tudor website, TashaTudorAndFamily.com. This episode was created in partnership with the Tasha Tudor Society, which you can get involved with and find on our website, What'sHerNamePodcast.com. There you can also find links to a couple of documentaries about Tasha Tudor. Music for this episode was recorded by Mark Nelson, Aaron Kenny, Wayne Jones, Kevin McLeod, and An Antique Symphonium. Our theme song was composed by Daniel Foster Smith. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post all kinds of additional content each week. This is the last episode of Season 9. We'll be back next year with more fascinating women you've never heard of. Wishing you a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for donating. See you next year. Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatshernamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there.